Hello and welcome to episode two of On The Break with me, Jack Blake and James Pollard. Evening. Before we start, we'd just like to say a massive thank you for the support we've had so far. Um, the listens are up, the subscriptions are there. Um, it's really nice to see. I'm sure James shares my sentiment. Absolutely right. Um, I think we would have been impressed, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong, if we'd have got 10 listeners in the first week. Um, and we actually hit just over 120. So very impressive. And the feedback we've received has been exceptional. So uh, very pleased. Good start. Yeah, it's nice to uh, put yourself out there and get recognised and uh, people say some nice things. It certainly is. It makes you weak. It does. Yeah, it does. And I know certainly, Jack, you living in the West Norfolk area still, I think quite a few people have seen you face-to-face at work and have said nice things. I've certainly had a few phone calls and messages, etc. So long may it continue. And like we said last week, it's just us two doing what we would usually do, chatting football endlessly. Certainly is. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, I just want to touch on, before we get started, Jack, the uh, exciting potential news that has come out online today. I don't know if you've heard it about uh, England potentially hosting the entirety of the Euros this year? Well, yeah, obviously, due to COVID restrictions and everything. But I've always said that England is the best place for it. It's got the infrastructure, it's got the fans, it's got the grounds. Well, it's perfect. It's set up, isn't it? I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit last week about West Ham's ground and how, I mean, capacity of 50 plus thousand. And that's one of numerous grounds in this country that could host international football competitions. Um, Infrastructure is there in terms of travel and transport, etc. I just hope that yeah. if it does happen, we can have some fans in the ground. Well, you can get to everywhere in the, the UK pretty quickly, can't you? Yeah. In hindsight. so. And, and I think when this, the, the whole Euro 20 concept was first designed by UEFA about having it all the way around Europe. There were some eyebrows raised. It was questioned. I know certainly one person in particular, Daniel Horsepole, he's got a ticket for the England quarterfinal game. Um, But that would be in Rome, potentially. Now, logistically, if it is across Europe, that's probably not going to be an easy ticket to get hold of or get to, is it, that game? So, um, It was... It was difficult without COVID, and now with COVID, it, it's just not feasible in the slightest. Is that you can't have people travelling through countries at such a high rate, which will happen. Yeah, and you've got—I mean, we've seen in the Champions League and Europa League, haven't we? We've got games being played in neutral venues because of um, quarantine rules, etc. Um, yeah, and that's without fans. If fans had to keep changing, and yeah, it just wouldn't work, would it? No, no, it wouldn't work. Um, and as an English Englishman. The prospect of seeing a tournament in our country, I mean, the last time we hosted a tournament was 1996. I was four years old, can't really remember it, or can't remember it if I'm honest with you. It's exciting. It certainly is. Cool. Right, well, what we'll do then, Jack, uh, we'll move on to the first segment, shall we? Go for it. Right, segment one of the podcast, same as last week. We're going to just reflect and analyse the results and performances of mainly the Premier League teams over the last seven days. We know that some of those, or quite a few of them, have had some European adventures. Um, So we'll be having a quick look at those. 
some of the games will go quite in depth. Some of the games, I'm sure you'll realise that we will just brush over. So game number one that we're going to look at was Friday night on the 19th of February. It was Leeds United's trip away to Wolves. Um, I know we touched on last week, Jack, how Wolves have been quite disappointing in my mind compared to last season. They have, yeah. But they did nick a win. Um, did you watch Ooh. it? I've seen the highlights, James. What what few there were? There wasn't a lot, was there? <laughs> no. Quite frankly, I felt Leeds did a lot to not score. Yeah. Where And Wolves nicked a very lucky own goal. Oh, yeah. Rocket, wasn't it? Rocket of an own goal off the keeper. Um, and they've come away with a... A 1-0 victory and a very valuable three points. Leeds, yeah. I mean, it's a very mid-table game, wasn't it? I'm just looking at the table now. Oh, it certainly was. Currently occupying 11th and 12th in the Premier League. Very mid-table. They're both safe from relegation. Honest, oh, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't count either of them in European contention at the moment. I don't think they've got the consistency. I know they're not far off in terms of points. But I think there's several teams better than them. Oh, there so, certainly are. The only other talking point from that was the uh, the Bamford VAR. Yes, yeah, very of tight, very very tight. But it's the world we live in now. I mean, I've got a few notes on some of the other games, and I felt VAR had a very controversial weekend. And um, some of the penalty decisions were a little bit choice and suspect. And like you say, the the offside Bamford started off the weekend very questionable. If VAR wasn't in, wasn't there, would that goal have stood? More than likely. Paula, to summarise that one, the biggest disappointment in that was my uh, fantasy team points. Yes, because you have Banford, I believe. I, I do, mate. Yeah. Um, who else do you have in there? And I you? think, and I think I made him captain for double game week, so it was a bit disappointed to see that ruled out. But he would, <laughs> he did redeem himself a bit later on, which we'll get to in a bit. You did, you did still beat me by two points, so good That's win not, for you. It's not really a shocker, though, is it? <laughs> no, fair play. Right, game two we've got. Let me just go back to the, where we're up to. Jack, what have we got game two? I've got Southampton-Chelsea, early game on Saturday. That's it. Southampton-Chelsea. Southampton, I didn't realise how poor their form was going into this game. Since, was... that, since that Liverpool win where they went top or whatever it was, it's all yeah. gone downhill. It's the longest, going into this game on Saturday, was the longest losing run in Southampton's history. Wow. Now, for a Premier yeah, that, League... That's, that's just league, though, isn't it? Because I know they won in the Cup, didn't yeah, they? Just yeah. league. But some Premier League clubs would have got rid of the management here, House of Hooten. But he's had it, he had it the season before, didn't he? He did. I remember him losing 9-0 oh, losing at wasn't home. It? Yeah, 9-0 at home. And they were, everybody thought they were gone, done and dusted. And he turned it around from there, didn't he? No, so, I rate him. I do I rate do. him. Yeah, I do. I mean, he, he's come into the club. He stabilised the ship last year. Comfortable Premier League safety in the end. Started really strongly this season. And I think they just hit a little bit of a blip. And hopefully that win against a very good informed Chelsea at the moment, or sorry, draw against an informed Chelsea side, should I say, will boost their confidence and start getting playing a little bit. Yeah, I just think that this result sums up what I was saying about Chelsea last week. Yeah. Good run of form, but if you watch, look at the goal they conceded, it was taken very well by uh, Minamino. Yeah. But it was 
one pass after a whole half of domination from Chelsea where they created very little. Yeah. Um, they still don't 100% convince me yet. No, I think it could be a little bit of that new manager syndrome. You often get a little bit of an increase in performance, don't you? But following on from that as well, they did also have a very good result in the week. Chelsea, away at Atletico? Yeah. Yeah, um, Giroud. He's just class, isn't he? Um, for somebody of his age, he's obviously a model professional. Yeah. Um, took his goal very, very well. Um, I, I would like to see Giroud play for two, three more years if he can physically do so. He's a very good class footballer. Just he's on one, the, of, these, sorry, he's one no. of these players that whatever team he plays or whatever manager he plays under, he's obviously rated because they play him. Yeah. 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 Just on the Chelsea-Southampton game as well, how embarrassing... Must it be for Callum hudson Adoy? Because that's... subbed on, subbed off thirty minutes later. But but then but then then he starts him in the big game in Europe. Well, yeah, maybe he's hoping for a reaction. Tuchel came out, didn't he, after the game and said because he was questioning on it that he wasn't happy with his attitude and body language. Oh yeah, he didn't cover it up with an injury, and he he went no. for it. Yeah, and I don't did. and I don't mind that as a new manager. It's honest, isn't it? It's open. And you're not, you're not trying to protect your players. It, it will hopefully see, show see how they deal with this and how they react. And I then mean, you, can root, you can root out because he's got a big squad there. And a very big, experienced and well-known squad. Because and you've got a lot of players in there who are, when they were signed, they were, they were signed to be big players. Yeah, and I think he's going to have to shift some people out of there because there's, there's players that don't get a game there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, he's, given, I, he's given that squad a real chance. He seems to change it a lot. He does, but if you've got that squad, that size of that quality, you might find it difficult to keep them all happy. You're going to have to keep swapping those players in and out. They all want to play football. They all want to earn their starting bonus or goal bonus, whatever, they, whatever they're playing for. It's always difficult if you've got a massive squad, isn't it, to keep them going. Thankfully for Chelsea, they're still in cup competitions. They're still in Europe and performing well in Europe. So he can do some rotation. I'd like, yeah. to, I'd like to see Werner push on. I think we touched on him a little bit last week. Um, yeah. He's, he's, they, play, they keep playing him wide. And I, didn't, I knew a team of Werner before he came to the Premier League. Obviously, everyone did. Yeah. But I always saw him as... An out and out number nine. I did. I knew he. I knew he had pace, so he can play wide. But I didn't think he did it very often. He seems to be a starting wide man now. It's continuous, isn't it? And I yeah. thought. I thought when new manager come in, he would change that, but he hasn't. He hasn't changed the shape at all, really. No, he's still playing wide, isn't he? Yeah, he's not really changed the shape. The only thing I've noticed since um, Tuchel's been in there is possession-based football is the way forward for Chelsea. Yeah, it's just I saw the stat on his first game. I think he had nearly eight hundred passes of the ball. That was that Wolves game where they the created something. Yeah, they just pass sideways. And it's all well and good, but if you're not going to get the three points, then yeah. it's irrelevant. Uh, next up, the very, very appealing Burnley, Neil, West Bromwich, Albion. Neil. This was, this was the showbiz clash of the weekend, in my opinion. Sam Allardyce versus Sean Dyche. That's, <laughs> that's box office, mate. There's a reason why it was left as the only game at 3pm. Um, and I bet it rained. More than likely, up in Burnley. <laughs> but it was grey. A windy... Yeah, windy grey day. Nobody really wanted to be there. 
the, and, the I bet, other... and I bet Dyche and Allardyce had a right session after. I bet they had a pint of ale. Let's put it that way. They ain't going to have anything like a Chinzana or anything like that. They're having a pint of ale in the, what is it, Dyche Arms? There's a pub up there named after Sean Dyche, isn't there? And I would love to see it. <laughs> the only thing from that game was it was a story of handballs. Obviously, yeah. West, West the, Brom lost a player early on, didn't they? To, the sending off is very, very far away from goal, but yeah. it is deliberate, and I think it's the right decision. But then, the penalty that wasn't given, uh, I don't understand how it's not given. It, if you're going to send somebody off, you've got to give the same consequence. Well, not necessarily the red card, but you've got to give a consequence for the same incident in the penalty box. So you give a penalty, you book him. It's a clear and obvious handball. Oh yeah, and and, and and there was also West Brom missed an absolute sitter. Was it Pereira? Uh, yeah, I think so. so. West Brom made a really good account of themselves with ten men, but it, it's over for them now, isn't it? Massively. If you, if you can't win games like that, then it's done, isn't it? I can't see them getting out of it. No. Next up, Merseyside derby. Oh, is it first win in ten years? Was it for Everton at Liverpool? I think something it's longer like, than that. Longer than that, was it? Something like that, yeah. Huge results. Uh, obviously, Everton got started a lot quicker than Liverpool could have dreamt. Three minutes in with Charleston. Very good finish. Good link-up play with uh, James Rodriguez. And yeah, good good ball through and well taken. Very well taken. Very good ball through. Liverpool's problems continue. Everton now on level on points with them with a game in hand. It's, oh yeah, it's questionable. It's... And then again, they lost Jordan Henderson, so their fourth, fifth choice, whatever he wants to be, centre half now injured. It's it's not looking good. Oh, the head is, exactly. It just piles up, doesn't it? It is. But I, I'll tell you who I was quite impressed with throughout the game. Um, who's come in for a little bit of stick lately was Jordan Pickford. Oh, that save from Henderson. Yeah, is is really good save. Top top yeah. save. I think he's come into, under a lot of stick from the press lately, from the Everton fans. English fans are very quick, aren't they, to jump on, jump down anybody's throat of an Englishman. Southgate clearly likes him, and he needed that good performance. He needed that clean sheet. So that was nice yeah. to see. He's number one, isn't he? Number one for England still. He is in Southgate's eyes, I think. Distribution, absolutely class. Um, shot stopping. couple of rash decisions he makes here and there but he is still a very, very good goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, the other big talking point was the argument for the penalty. Calvert-Lewin yeah. strikes the ball. He then runs into Trent after he's attempted to tackle. Mm. Oh. Um, I, the the I, point I want to pick up from this, if you watch the play leading up to that, the centre-back that um, Liverpool brought in from Germany, um, Kabak. Kabak, yep. Turkish. He, he could deal with that without uh, getting anywhere near that. The ball gets played him with a bit of pace into Richarlison's feet. He's right He's right up behind him. He lets him roll in and run through. In that position, any Premier League defender of experience makes the foul. Is that, Yeah, they do. It's um, on the halfway line. He might not. He probably wouldn't have even got booked for it. But he let him roll him and they were on. Like, it's nothing. And I think to myself, the penalty was a bit dubious. But if you're going to make mistakes like that, you're bringing it on yourself. Of course you are. It looked a very, um, how do I put this, immature or inexperienced position to put yourself in. Yeah. It, every every player that comes to the Premier League needs time to settle. 
if I was a Liverpool fan, I still wouldn't be worried because I think next season they'll go again, they'll be challenging. Um, but I think they just need to settle. They've been so unsettled in terms of who's playing. Was that the 17th pairing at centre-half this season? It's ridiculous amount. Now, but, you can't play it, like that. Also, if you watch that period of play, his turn of pace is non-existent as well, this new lad. Yeah, quite worrying, isn't it, when you're coming up watch, against some players in the Premier League? Watching him run back was very reminiscent of me trying to run back. <laughs> Pure pace then, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Look like look like he's stuck no. in the sand. <laughs> no, fair play. Moving on, uh, Fulham versus Sheffield United. We touched on Sheffield United last year, uh, last week. Doesn't look good. Hasn't looked good for them all season. Fulham needed this win to give them a little bit of a glimmer of hope. Only three points behind Newcastle now. Huge win. Huge win. And it keeps it interesting, doesn't it? Very much I would, so. I would have hated Sheffield United to win this. Not nothing against Sheffield United, but it would have that would have been it, really, wouldn't it? It would have been them three trying to work out who figures, who finishes eighteenth. Yeah, and pointless. Unfortunately for Newcastle, that puts them back in a bit of bother. Which is good. It keeps it interesting. It's for the neutral, definitely. But certain Newcastle fans, Fulham fans out there, it's um, it, an interesting well, battle to the end of the it season. It is. It certainly is. Uh, I think the standout performer for Fulham. Throughout the whole season is uh, Lookman. I was I just going to say, he's took his goal Really role. got something about him. The only thing as well I'll, t- I'll touch on this was last minute of the game, Sheffield United player, was it Bogle, went through on goal. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the Fulham keeper's come out and he's absolutely sliced him. He really has. Now, VAR have looked at it and then said no penalty. There's been a lot weaker penalties given this season in the Premier League. It's, it's the consistency, isn't it? It is, and it just depends depends who's in that VAR box at wherever it is, somewhere park. Um, Stockley Park. Stockley Park, that's it. But I know Chris Wilder wouldn't say too much about it after the game because I think deep down, if he'd have said what he thought, he would have gotten a bit of bother. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Sheffield United, unlucky, unfortunate, that's done and dusted. Fulham, fighting chance. So it's certainly a fighting chance. Moving on to Sunday, the big London derby of the day. You've got West Ham beating Tottenham Hotspur by two goals to one. We've got a bit of a West Ham theme. We've got a, a guest, Peter Brassett, coming on later on to talk about West Ham. I don't want to go too much into West Ham on this because I want to try and save that for later. Fine. But, um, all, all credit to them for this result because they looked very good and you can see such a good team spirit there at the moment. Very much so. I mean, you've only got to look at the goal celebration. Yeah, that the was, band was out. The band was out, even after the, they had to wait for VAR check. Good finish by Lingard. Just quickly, Sue check, what a player, what a sign-in. Yeah. And also, just a touch on Spurs, 81 points from Mourinho's first 50 games in charge. That is the lowest out of any of his management jobs. His first 50 have got less points, less goals scored, more goals conceded than Pochettino's last 50. And they said that was Pochettino's worst time, didn't they? Wow. There you go. So uh, that ties in quite well with what we thought last week. <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah. Uh, Villa Leicester. Uh, sorry, go on. Just, sorry, just finishing off. Uh, Gareth Bale looked like he hit a bit of form when he came on. I thought he changed the game a little bit. I thought he looked quite good. Can I just add on Spurs as well, actually, though? Good performance in the week or last night. I know they're not playing a, a great side in Europe at the minute, but look convincing. 
Deli Ali back in the goals. Yeah, if they could bring any form of confidence from that into the league, that'll obviously benefit them. And um, I've seen on Twitter today there's a lot of pressure on Mourinho to start Bale and, and Ali at the weekend. Yeah, I can't see him starting Ali at the minute. I still think it's going to take a lot of convincing. But yeah, Bale's wrong there, isn't there? Bale looks good now. Bale looks like he's got his feet back in. So hopefully, he certainly do. Villa Leicester. Now, I only, unfortunately, saw the second half of this one. I went out, but... You saw the half where Villa were half decent. That's it. I've watched the highlights. It seems that first half, Leicester were very dominant. They looked like the side that reflected their league position, shall we say. Villa missed Grealish. Yes. Yeah. But like I said last week, Villa still looked half a threat without him. They do. They brought some very good players in the summer, I think, or over the last couple of summers. They didn't quite click last season and they, they scraped it on the last day of the season, didn't they? But I think they've got... I mean, Traore's come in and I, I'm impressed with him. I know it was yeah. a scrappy goal that he scored, but good signing, proven player in the French League. I know he's been in the Premier League before with Chelsea, I believe, but he's come back to the Premier League and he looks he looks the part. He looks like he's up for it. Playing that wide, playing that top. And he's getting a, yeah. getting a couple of goals, which is nice to see. I think Villa will finish well still, even because yeah. I don't. I think Grealish is about a month, isn't he? So yeah. he's got a few more games, but um, they'll still finish well. I think they're a good little team. Villa going into this season, Villa wouldn't have been expecting to be eighth in the table. They, oh, no, they would have no. they would have snapped your hand off it. And Leicester, I mean, we we run out of superlatives for Leicester at the minute, don't we? But two young English goal scorers, James Madison. I know he's took a knock and he's. He, He's out for a week or so. Um, but Harvey Barnes looking a bit of a player again. He looks yeah. a spark. Had a lot of goals to his game. He has. I think that loan spell at the start of last season at West Brom, that really sort of put him in the limelight. And that's when they recalled him early, didn't they? They did, yeah. Um, but he looks the player. And if I'm Gareth Southgate, I'm starting to have a little look, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you put him? Well, that's the problem. That is the problem. Arsenal, Man City. Get him on the plane. Get him on the plane to Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal, Man City. Did you watch it? I did. I thought it was going to be a massacre. So did I. And when, when it was 1-0, after a minute and 20 seconds, I thought, cool, we're in for a game here. I thought it was either going to be end-to-end free-flowing football or it was going to be an absolute... 7-8 drubbing to Man City. Yeah, you would put it past it. Mm. City just City just didn't even give them the sniffle game. They may have only scored one, but they only have to score one at the moment. They're so strong. They're comfortable, aren't they? Defensively. 18, oh, they're just fantastic. 18 wins in a row in all competitions. They, and I'd hate to think... And how many goals can see in that time? What, a handful? Next to none. Ne- no, no. Next to none. They're just comfortable. Again, clean sheet last night. They're just total control, is how I would describe it. Arsenal, I didn't think they did. A, I don't think they had a bad account of themselves. To be fair, they didn't. Cre- they got one shot on target. Yeah. Well, yeah, they did. Oh, okay, and that was from outside the box from Kieran Tierney. Not a lot then, really. I take that back. It's questionable Holden's defensive work for Sterling's goal. You've got a five foot six lad beating a centre a towering centre half in the air. He just totally lost him. It's. I don't know. Arsenal seem. I can't get my head around them. I can't decide what I think of Arsenal at the minute. 
if they're going to be up there pushing or if it's just done and dusted. I mean, they're, As... they're two points off eighth place, which could be a very outside European challenge, I guess. Yeah. But like I say, as of recording, we do this on a Thursday night. This is before Arsenal were playing the Europa League game tonight. Play Benfica, they've don't one, they? They've got a one-all draw at the moment. If they go out of that as well, it's, it's season done, isn't it, really? As we speak now, they're 0-0 after 20 minutes. Right. Um, but again, lack of shots by the looks of it. One shot. It's They need to start creating them goals, don't they? I thought they had it a couple of weeks ago when, when Aubameyang came back into the team and he looked Aubameyang that was signed by Arsenal a few years ago. And I thought, maybe he's happy again. I know he's had his issues. Maybe this is where they're going to push on. But again, City, class. They're going to walk out, aren't they? They really are, mate. Uh, one of your boys? I fancy him, I fancy him for the uh, Champions League. They looked, they looked good last night against Mutchin Gladbach, a good Mutchin Gladbach yeah. team. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really wouldn't put it past them to win it, apart from Bayern, maybe. It's what they need. It's what Pep wants. He's done a lot then. Yeah, that's what they bought him for. It is. Saturday, uh, Sunday evening, Man United, Newcastle. Oh, fantastic. As a United fan, I'm sure you were very pleased. I wasn't pleased with the performance overall. Okay. I think Newcastle started very well. I think teams know how to start against Man United, get in their faces and everything, press them from the front, which they did really well, Newcastle, to be fair. We struggled to get out. Um but it takes that one bit of quality, and Rashford really popped up. He did. Took on the defender, nutmegged, nutmegged him again, and smashed it bottom corner. Keep the man done better. But when he's a threat, he's a constant threat, and I like him. He, um, he, cons- he, but- he beat Cra- sorry, Jack. He beat Kraft twice in the lead up to that yeah. goal with ease. Yeah. Yeah. There's still there's still a lot of issues there at United. Um, poor old Martial at the minute just. Can't it just doesn't look interested? Four goals all season for a striker. Yeah, compared to and it's, it's disappointing after the way he uh, performed last year. Yeah, but he got in the goals. He got into twenty-two goals or so in all competitions, which for Martial's fine with me because I don't think he's an out-and-out striker. No, I don't. I don't. But if you remember going back five, six years ago when he was a young kid, he was the next big thing. He was going to be France's leading scorer. He was going to be. Man United's new number nine. He was going to be that rude Van Nistelrooy 20-goal-a-season player, wasn't he? Mm. I haven't seen it. And I know that I've spoken to a few United fans in response to last week's podcast. Ryan Kirby, Barry Chilvers. They've got some very choice words to say about Martial this season. And they're not words I want to say on here. Yeah. Dan James, though. Can I just touch on Dan James? I thought, I thought that at one point his Man United career was going down the pan. Three... I, think, I, still, yeah, I still think it's not. No, it's, it's it, not. He's never going to be a world beater, but three goals in three games. If you'd have asked me three weeks ago, Dan James, will he get three goals in three games for United? Not a chance. So he seems to have pulled something out. Um, it's nice to see him given, being given a chance. Can I see him being a United hero? Can I see him being there in three, four years' time? No, I can't. I can see him being at a mid-table Premier League team. Yeah. I might be wrong, but that's where I'm at. Good re- good result in the week for United, though. 4-0 away at Sociedad, which I thought was probably, on paper, one of the hardest draws you could get in that competition when we drew it. I know Sociedad have gone on a really bad run. 
at the moment, but they've still got some really good players in there, and we made them look um, made them look silly. Comfortable, wasn't it? I know second leg tonight, isn't it? Yeah, we're back at Old Trafford 4-0 yeah. up, so I should imagine it'll be um, a bit of a second string. I would expect so, uh, and rightly so, to be fair. Yeah. Moving on to Monday. This is the, the derby that I don't understand, OK? I know that they're relatively close and they're connected by one motorway, but Brighton Palace... I said this to my brother saying this was a derby and he argued me saying it wasn't. This was a good few years ago now, but I said, they told me on the telly it's a derby. I don't understand it either, but supposedly it is. When I, when I worked in Egypt with a lad called Matt, he was, he was working for Brighton and Hove Albion at the time and his hatred for Crystal Palace was unreal. And I never, <laughs> I never understood it, to be fair. Um, they're connected by a motorway. It's the Gatwick Airport derby, isn't it? <laughs> That's all it is. Fantastic. 95th minute winner though for Benteke, for Palace. Palace needed that, I think. They were getting into it. It was, it was the most special grab thing you've ever seen in your life. Huge, yeah. It's a big three points for Roy and his team, isn't it? Let's face it. Um, Didn't they have two touches in the opposition box or so? Did all they game? really? Um, I mean... It's some ridiculous stat like that. 25% and... possession. Two shots on target, two goals, and no corners. The best thing about it was is that the two goals are two absolutely fantastic goals. <laughs> it don't matter how you Have score. you seen them? No, I haven't. I haven't seen these ones. I'll be honest. Oh, they've got, they've got that new lad in from Germany, that Mateta. Right, yeah. He scores like a back kill and the cross comes in. And then the second one is a Benteke volley into the bottom corner. <laughs> Beautiful, mate. That's a real smash and grab. Garrett, oh, it was. 25% possession. And winning away from home, fair play. That is nicked it, isn't it? Uh, we've got one more, yes, one more game to touch on, and it, we're back to our or your favourite team, Leeds United. Favourite team. Well, last week you said how well you liked watching Leeds. I don't like it though. <laughs> fair play. <laughs> don't start rumours. <laughs> Enjoyed watching Leeds. Bamford amongst the goals again. I really like Rafinha come in. Yeah, he seems a bit of a steal, doesn't he? He does seem a steal. He's creating goals as well as scoring them. Bamford, we touched on him last week. Got to be asking a question for Southgate, I would say. Freena. Second top, second top goals from the... No, third top goals from the league now, isn't it? Salah, Fernandez, and him. It depends how much bottle Southgate has got. Does he overlook one of those other English players that have been there and done it before? For all... Like I said to you before, because of the attacking talent we have out wide that can play up front and the attacking talent behind the striker, I personally could see Southgate just taking two strikers, out and out strikers, and obviously one of them's Harry Kane. So you've got a lot of people vying for that second spot. We'd be covered, a though. A lot of people. We'd be covered, though, by doing so, wouldn't we? I don't think you need three out and out strikers. No, no not at all. No, and I can't see... Like, you, you can play false nines, can't you? We've seen Sterling doing it for yeah. City this season. You could even play phone in there. I don't think Bamford goes over Calvert-Lewin. No. Calvert-Lewin, if he'd have continued his form that he had in the first month, September, October, November time, he might have been asking a question as to how I can start him with Kane. Oh, yeah. But um, that won't happen, I don't Not think. anymore. No, not anymore. No. Right. I think that brings us to a close of the results over the last seven days. So I'm going to go and grab a drink and then we'll be back with section number two. 
Right, swiftly moving on to our forgotten slash topical player. Uh, me and Pollard find someone from the week who's popped up and share a bit of information about what they're doing now. Uh, so, James, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Yeah, so a little. you might notice there's going to be a bit of a theme to mine each week, and it's going to be somebody or a professional football, ex-professional football, who's doing something that you wouldn't anticipate an ex-professional footballer doing. We, we think of the, the obvious choices of coaching and punditry, etc. But not this gentleman. So it's a Dutch centre-half who was described as cultured, but with an imitating presence. He was famous for his career at Wigan, Portsmouth and Coventry in this country, along with other teams around Europe, and played 146 times in the Premier League. Back in 2004, El Hadj we all know El Hadjouf has got a bit, a, bit of a, a bit of a history. He famously spat in this player's face and he's still yet to this day to receive an apology, even though the Bolton fans have sent an apology for El Hadjouf. But the gentleman we are looking at today is, I thought I'd get the name right here, Ian Dezu. He was Wigan captain when they had that good run of games or good, good run of spell when they got to the Premier League. And they got to the cup final. They got to the cup final indeed. And like I say, 146 games in the Premier League is no mean feat for any player. But I think I remember him having a cracking centre-half partnership with Stefan Honcho. Oh, what a name that is. We could have included That's him. Of Liverpool fame, I believe. Liverpool fame, yes. He was at Liverpool yeah. for a few years, yeah. weren't he? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so did Iron Dazoo... I'm sure you're all eagerly anticipated what he's doing now. So he's moved back to his home, na- home nation of Holland. Um, his mate, or one of his friends, is, was actually working in the police force. So they got talking. And Azur went back to university, did a doctorate in medical science, and he's actually now a detective. Wow. So he swapped, and the, the terminology I read... He swapped interviews from BBC Sport to interviewing people regarding burglaries and arson. So complete change of career path. There's lots of videos online about what he's doing now. It's, it's out there in the press. There's, and he's quite proud about what he's doing. And he seems a very intelligent gentleman. So it's no surprise that he's gone on to do something very respectable, got himself a doctorate, and has made a bit of a career outside of football for himself. So, fair play to the chap. Certainly fair play. Jack, what about yourself? What have you got for us this week? Cool. I've got a cracker. Oh, go on. He has 62 caps for Ireland. Okay. 14 goals. Bit of a striker, I'd say, then. Cool, yeah, what a record. Um, His career has taken him from Colorado... To Reading, or the other way around, whichever way. <laughs> okay. With a sprinkling of walls in there. I think I know. It is Kevin Doyle. Ah, oh, what a name. What a name. And you, you may be wondering why I've brought up Kevin Doyle. Go on. Not only because he's one of my favourite players ever. Didn't he have an incredible spell when that year that 
sorry to cut you off. When Reading got promoted as the the record point scorers in the championship, didn't he score a ridiculous amount of goals from? Yeah, that's when he was at his best. When it, I think yeah. Reading, he was fantastic. Yeah, but uh, what he's doing now? Well, go on. He is now a horse breeder. <laughs> is he really? And I mean, quite a quite a serious horse breeder. But as in race horses. Yeah, it. he's like he's gonna. They're gonna be racing at Cheltenham. Are they really? Wow! This is this is how serious this is. So is this something that he's always been into? His family been into, etc. Or is it just he's taken his, it up? His father was into it, and obviously the Irish background. Okay. Uh, right into his horses. He has a sixty-acre stud. Oh, casual. In Wexford, in Ireland. Very nice. Married, three kids, living the dream. Recently bought a horse. For £170,000. So it can't be going too badly for it, can it? That ain't a Shetland pony, is it? <laughs> that That's impressive. So it's, I take it he's had some races previously. Any idea how he's got on? He's got to be half decent if he's got a, an entry for Cheltenham, I'd imagine. Yes, he must be doing well. He's looking for he's looking for a Cheltenham success this year. So, like, in a month's time. Wow. Uh, okay. I mean, I know, obviously, lots of ex-professional footballers and managers have had involvement in You get a lot of investors, don't you? And they just they just invest in the horses or, or have stakes in the horses, but you don't actually see many of them are did Mike, actually. Yeah, did Michael Owen have his own race horses? Am I right in thinking? I think he may have had his own stable, yeah. Yeah, and I know Alex Ferguson had that um, involvement, didn't he? Yeah. But hats off. I mean, if you can... He's, he's clearly made... A good career out of it. 60 acres stood isn't bad, is it? You ain't certainly going to be able to walk from one side to the other. You're going to need something to get around. So, fair play to him. Very well. Probably done. a horse. Oh, oh, yes. He could take a noble steed down to his uh, down to his lake, I'm sure. Nice. I'm sure. Very good choice there, Jack. Um, Thank you. I look forward to your choice next week of Topical or Forgotten Footballer. Right, moving on. We are, of course, each week going to pick out a standout performance of the week. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific player. It could be a coach, referee, team, anything that we think deserves recognition over the past seven days. Jack, who are you gone for this week? I've gone abroad. Have you? Okay. I've gone across the ocean. Which way? Where are we going? I've got on a flight. And I'm going to Spain. Fantastic. Very nice. And my performance, or this is going to be team of the week. It's nice. not just team of the week. It's been team for the last few weeks. Is Sevilla. Sevilla. Okay. Sevilla. Go on. Why have you chosen Sevilla? I've always admired Sevilla because they never spend big. No. Got a very good business model. They get some absolute cracking players in on bargain prices or youngsters. Uh... Their current league form at the minute, Pollard, Go is on. Six, six wins in a row. Wow. And then with one goal conceded in that time. Wow. That is impressive, to be fair. I mean, I have, off the top of my head, where are they table-wise? They're around the fourth, fifth place. Okay. But it's all quite close, I believe, from the last time I looked at it. I've just loaded it. So they are in fourth. You're spot on. But yep. they are only four points off second. Exactly. So it is very close and form is incredible. They're 
averaging this season 2.09 points per game. Wow. And that would be well, title-winning contention if they continue that. Some seasons that is enough for title-winning contention, it isn't it? It certainly is. There's not many clubs that can consistently get over two points per game over the course of the season. I I haven't really, I'll be honest with you, I haven't really looked into Sevilla for a few years. I remember going back years ago when they had the likes of Canute. Um, but yeah. they had some very good players there, didn't they? Yes, they have. They've got... They've got some very good players now. Yeah, they. I'm just looking myself. Ratajic is there still. Um, you've got, who's that, Jesus Navas? At fullback? Yeah, at fullback, yeah. Down, yeah. At, down at the defender. Experienced players, but good, solid footballers, aren't they? That, that you're going to get good performances out. Certainly is. I know a few people listening will only have seen Sevilla in the Champions League, where they did get beaten by Dortmund and did ship three goals. But that was very much a Haaland-led, exquisite yeah. performance. And it only finished three-two. There's every chance they to overturn that Sevilla because they are excellent in Europe. No, definitely. Yeah, um, Dortmund do excite me. They do excite me, but they are prone to conceding. So if they can nick a goal away there, it make the game really interesting, won't it? I wouldn't put it past Sevilla. No, not at through. all. No, not definitely at all. not. Uh, the head coach is an intriguing case because obviously it's a uh, Lopetegui, who was, if everyone remembers rightly, he was the Spain manager going into oh I the Euros. Know. Yes. Uh, they changed, and then but because the news got leaked. Yeah. Two days before the tournament that he'd be going to Real Madrid once it completed, the Spanish Football Federation had the marvellous idea of getting rid of him, <laughs> which then just basically concedes your chance of winning it because it's, you've it's you've, you've you've set up for the last two years leading to this tournament under a certain manager to change it two days beforehand purely for the fact is he should have told the Spanish FA he was leaving after. <sighs> But you don't. I mean, I'm not being funny. But whether he's moving on or not, he's picked that squad for that European competition. That's his team, his way of playing football. You go with it, don't you? So he had a very bitter ending with that one. It didn't work out for him at Real. Obviously, he was hardly there. Played, and they got rid of him very, very quickly to get yeah. Zidane back in. Yeah. Um, but he's turned it around. Sevilla. They won the Europa last year. Yeah. Obviously, knocking out United on the way to that. And beating Inter in the final, which no easy feat. Not at all. Into a very good side. Which continued their absolutely miraculous run in the Europa League of how many times they've won it. It's nuts, isn't it? Is it four times in the past so many years or something? It's nuts. They'll certainly, I think a little part of me is that they're probably a little bit upset they ever made it through to the knockout stage of the Champions League. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they would have liked to have finished third in the group. But the business plan there as well, they've signed some top players. They've got Rakitic in, I think, if you'll find it's about £1.5 million up front. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Something like um, You don't get that in the Premier League, sorry. But in the Premier League, if that was Rakitic, it goes for a lot more money. And another player they got in on a, a free, I think it was, this January, was Papu Gomez from Atlanta, who was their captain and their star man. It's unreal. I mean, that's great business, isn't it? How have they managed that? And there was, they, they are, they, they do still produce some good players, don't they? I remember going back years ago, they produced some good young players who they were a bit of a selling club. They then moved players on, wouldn't they? Yeah, certainly. And then, and then you talking about these young players coming through. Their centre-back partnership is one of the best, highest touted in Europe. Um, Diego Carlos, the Brazilian, uh, 
very strong, aggressive. Yep, nice. Um, and then you've got uh, Kunde, the young Frenchman, who Man City bid for in the summer and was actually first choice over Ruben Diaz. So that's where they rated him. Wow. Sevilla wouldn't let him go for any less than 60 million quid. And City didn't fancy it, obviously. And City didn't fancy it, but he is touted for big, big, big things. Big, big things. Maybe. I mean, they might. you might find City going back in for him this year, then, for a little bit more. Certainly, while Diaz's future is uncertain, isn't it? Well, United need a centre-half. <laughs> <laughs> is that wishful thinking, Jack? Well, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Who knows? No, good pick. Good pick. I, I'll be honest with you, I, ha- I haven't really been keeping track of European football as much this year. So that Well, is, this this is an educational podcast, Pollard. Yes, it is. I'm glad you've learned something. I have learned something. I'm hoping I can teach you something with my pick, to be fair. Oh, here we go then. Come on. So, my pick's a little bit closer to home. Um, we are a English League One side who, quite frankly... A lot of people had written off come the start of the season for losing their best player to Brentford. For big money, by the way. But we are talking Peterborough United. They lose their big player every year. They do. They do. And they still and they still perform. They have got for for a club of that size, they've clearly got an incredible scouting network. Because they sell Tony for big money. They replace him with a lad called Johnson Clark Harris from Bristol Rovers for £1.2 million. Now, yeah. He's got 19 goals in 29 games this season. I think you can go through the last 10 to 15 years of Peterborough. I could go back to names like Craig McCall-Smith, Aaron McLean, yeah. uh, Connor Washington was there, wasn't he? Um, Dwight Gale. Yeah, these are, they all find him, don't they? Lower league. Yeah, they pick him up. Bad goals, make money. Ivan Tony's obviously the, the, the big one now. Huge money. I mean, Marcus Madison went last summer as well, didn't he? Wasn't Asomba Longa there as well? Asomba Longa was there, yep. Yeah. Some big players have been at Peterborough United, moved them on again, made some good money. And then they find another one. Ferguson, Darren Ferguson, it clearly clicks with him at Peterborough. Obviously, he's been away and tried other clubs, but he's now in his third spell there. The other night, or uh, t- Tuesday night, they went top of League One with a comfortable 3-0 victory away at Plymouth. Now, I don't care what anybody says. Yes, they're professional footballers. But going away to Plymouth Argyle on a Tuesday night is never going to be an easy game. Plymouth Argyle, not a nice, not a nice ground, not a nice pitch. It's going to be challenging. Comfortable 3-0 winners. Saturday last week, 3-0 winners as well against AFC Wimbledon. They're scoring goals, but the key is they're not shipping the goals this year. They've always scored goals, haven't they? Yeah. They've always been a big, big goal-scoring side. I watched them last season. I went to, with Pete, who's on later on, we went and watched them. And there was a lad called Sariki Dembele. Now, I don't know if you remember, a few years ago, there was that lad at Celtic who shot to fame as the 14, 15-year-old who was training with the first team. Yeah. Um, he, was, he was eligible to play for about three different teams, Nigeria, Scotland, England, etc. Well, it's his brother. And... He went through the Nike Academy and Peterborough have got him. And he's about five foot two, absolutely rapid. And he's got an eye to beat a player and score a goal. Um, he's been in the goals again this season. They tend to use him as, as a bit of an impact player, I think. They'll, yeah. they'll sort of bring him on just to change the game up, change the way to play football. 
but he is impressive as well. And I wouldn't put him past being the next player they move on, if I'm honest. As a Norwich fan, he suits the sort of Daniel Farker style of football. He's energetic. He could keep the, he could keep, or he could tra- transition from defence to attack really quickly. So I would put a little bit of money on him being the next player that they move on for a bit of, bit of money, or this Johnson Clark Harris, which 1.2 million pounds as a replacement is nothing compared to the money they brought in yeah. for Tony, is it? And Tony, look at, I was, I was just going to say Tony this season. Oh, yeah. Incredible record for Brentford. He's, if they don't get up, he certainly won't be at Brentford next season. It's another Ollie Watkins, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Brentford are a good case because they, they're like, what did I see the other day? The last three seasons, obviously, the, they had more pay. You got yep. 25 goals, went, moved on. Uh, Ollie Watkins got up to 25 goals again. Ben Rama. Moved him on. Uh, ben Rama. And obviously, now they've got um, Tony. Ivan Tony. So they're a. A highly higher case of Peterborough. Do you know what I mean? They're a and do you know what's interesting? They're an attractive team as well. They are, but do you know what? Just going off topic a little bit. What interests me with Brentford is they're booking the trend. So Brentford don't have a youth system. They not. They don't have any youth system whatsoever. They've got obviously their new stadium, but they've got no youth teams whatsoever. They are a buying club. There was talk of them having a B team in a lower league. I don't know if that did take place or did take off in the end. Um, but that's a very continental thing, isn't it? You find Real Madrid and Barcelona having Barcelona B, Real Casilla and that sort of thing. Yeah. But Bar- uh, Brentford were going to go that route. But yeah, they scrapped their youth system a little while ago. Whether it's a money-making, a money-saving thing because of the new stadium, I don't know. But why would they invest that money into a youth system if they can pluck these good, high-quality players from their lower leagues and turn them on for big money? If it's working, don't change it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of clubs out there who are spending millions and millions a year on their youth academies and not turning anybody out. So it's a waste of money unless you're actually getting that £20 million player and you're making them, isn't it? It certainly is. But yeah, so mine was Peterborough United. Very impressed with them. I think usually, last few years, I thought Peterborough, they play well until Christmas. And they seem to have that spell between Christmas and February where they just go off the boil. But I don't think they will this time. I think Ferguson might take them up. Yeah, I wonder how they'll cope in the championship. Well, we will see. Moving on, our final segment of tonight's pod is, of course, final every week will be a topical question of the week. Uh, last week, we focused on Spurs. This week, we're moving across London, not too far, and we are looking at West Ham United. I'm pleased to say we're joined by good friend of the pod and myself, Peter Brassett. Peter, evening. How are we? Are you well? Very well, thank you, sir. Hello, uh, mate. Hello, Jack. You well, mate? Yeah, good, buddy. Thank you. Pete, no. uh, West Ham through and through, I take it? Yeah, yeah, since yeah. birth, mate. I didn't, have, I didn't have a choice. The old man said to me, you need to support West Ham, but you can go live on the streets, son. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was pretty much, uh, I think I had a, a West Ham baby grow from about two days on. So, yeah, no choice. Fantastic. Claret and blue inside out then. Absolutely. Um, so this week, Pete, we're going to introduce yourself, get to know you. And then obviously yeah. the topical question is about your owners, Gold and Sullivan, the two Davids. So we'll come back to that. Uh, can you just briefly give us a little bit of an insight into the footballing world of Peter Brassett? What is your involvement ever been about football? 
not not a great playing career, James. If I'm honest with you, like um, myself, <laughs> bit a bit like yourself. But I think I think I was slightly better. Um, I was I was a goalkeeper. Um, start pretty much a goalkeeper from, from day one. Really, I enjoyed it. I was if if I'm being if I'm being big headed, I was quite a good shot stopper and I was quite brave. But distribution and coming for crosses, not a chance. Uh, that's what the defenders were there for, in my opinion. But um, so. I played for Heacham and Wootens as a as a as a lad, and then I played for Heacham and Old Hunstanton. And then at the at the grand old age of nineteen, I decided to retire from football. Um, I felt that uh, Hunt, Old Hunstanton was probably about the best I could I could hope for as a player. And I went on to went on to some coaching and some managing jobs, um, which was probably what I've always had a, a passion for. I went over to to Mumford as assistant manager. Um, and the manager was was sacked after one game. Good start. Um, so I, I kind oh. of got I kind of got lumped into um, taking the side on. Um, but what I hadn't done before I went there is I hadn't checked the league table. Um, <laughs> Mumford were Mumford were bottom, played ten, lost ten, um, and we we managed to we we went down, but we only went down with. By a point, we got 27 points out of 18 games, oh. um, and that was that was when I sort of thought, yeah, I can I can do something. And then we we went we won the league the next year. We only lost one game, and then we went the next season. We finished third, but only lost two games. That's pretty good. Um, that's pretty good. Was, yeah, it was it was, and, and to be fair, it's probably one of the most enjoyable times I had. You know, I had a good bunch of lads. They they didn't need too much coaching. Um, and we just we were just organised. We were just well drilled. And then I went over to Downham as assistant manager. Um, I think we lost as many games as I did in Mumford in the first sort of five or six. It was, <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> it was an absolute nightmare. And then I had a year in the reserves um, as manager, and we we managed to finish the highest the reserves have ever finished, which was great. Had a load of young players, and then. And I got the I got the first team job, and that's when I met met James, and I appointed him as first you, team coach. You did indeed. Uh, also, my driver, <laughs> um, note taker <laughs> when we went scouting, because I can I can possibly write. I was the manager, um, <laughs> so on those cold nights at Piston and uh, where else did we go? Berry, Newmarket, Newmarket. Newmarket, Newmarket was... um, I would I would sit with my hands in my pockets, and I would say to James just write about this corner and he, he used to do it and he used to drive me there as well. So um, that was, that was basically my, my and then I, I did that only for about nine months and then it wasn't, it wasn't for me really. Um, I had a child come in and I decided to, to give up the coaching and the playing really. Um, and luckily had a few years at um, Upton Park before um, we obviously moved stadiums. Yeah, that leads us on nicely, Pete, to uh, the topping question, West Ham. So, mm. thoughts on this season as a West Ham United fan? Um, unexpected. Okay. If I'm honest. If, if you'd have said to me at the start of the season, you'll be fourth in the league. Um, you'll be above Liverpool. I'd have laughed. <laughs> you know, that's laughable, isn't it? Yeah, compared to last we season. Six, we finished it is 16. a shocker. We finished 16th last year. 
Um, and we were just very, very lucky. There was three worse teams than us in the league last year. Um, you know, we won we won six home games all season. This year, we've won seven already. That's pretty good. That's we, an improvement, we, isn't it? Big difference. You know, you look it? at you you look at we. I, I think it was. I think we scored forty nine goals last year, conceded sixty two. So far, we've we've scored thirty nine and only let in twenty five. So there's 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 just a massive a massive difference, and and I think for me the the credit has to go to David Moyes. See, I remember just, Pete when sorry when he was appointed. Am I right in thinking you were a bit sceptical? Second time I don't, think there, I, I, I don't think there was a West Ham fan that wasn't sceptical. No. I think we... I think he did a job in the first spell. He came in and got us out of a mess. And let's be honest, that was, that was toxic at the club at the time. Yeah. Because I don't know if you remember, there was a top, the Burnley game when we lost 3-0 when the fans ended up on the pitch. That's it. With yeah. the flag. Um, and... Um, that was that was horrific that day, absolutely as, horrific. As we've discussed before, Pollard, uh, Moyes' reputation certainly had took a beating by that point, hadn't it? Hugely. I mean, we said last week, about, it, didn't we? Last chance saloon, almost. What is he going to do? It really was. If he fails at West Ham this time, where's he going to go? But you look at he had what did he have? Ten years at Everton. Yeah. Then he had his his time his nine months at United. Yeah. Then he went. Did he then go over to Spain and he? So see and then, he yeah. come, then he come back and did, had a go at Sunderland. Um, yeah. He got relegated and then he came to us. He kept us up and then we said, "Oh no, we we don't think you're good enough. We're bringing in Pellegrini, um, who don't get me wrong, had a really good season the first year. I think we finished in the top half or maybe just below. But last season, let's not forget, we started really well last season. Yeah. We were and then we lost our goalkeeper. And we played a guy <laughs> basically like me in goal, and he was hopeless. And we lost game after game after game. And by Christmas, um, we was we were we were looking over our shoulder. Um, but yeah, he you, we we have to. I, I can't. I cannot give him enough credit for what he's done. Um, he's there is a togetherness that we I haven't seen at our football club for as long as I can remember. You. You've only got to look at the like. There's all West. All we ask for as West Ham fans is the side that give a hundred percent. Yeah, of course. We don't. Yeah. We we don't expect. We don't expect to win leagues and win cups. But what we do expect is every time you pull on the West Ham shirt, is you give everything that we would give if we had the ability to be able to give it. From the stand. Yeah, I think that's obvious and... from us from the outside. We're seeing that togetherness. Yeah. I mean, me and Jack have mentioned looking... earlier, sorry, Pete, in the podcast about the, the goal that Lingard scored at the weekend, the togetherness to be able to have that that funny celebration, even after the VAR check. You can see they are gelled. They are, there's a good morale in the squad, isn't there? Yeah. Most times, when, when it goes to VAR, they... You celebrate, then you look over and the flag's up, yeah. or then it goes to VAR and they stand there. They, everyone walks back to the centre circle and then he blows the whistle, he says goal, and then they just basically just kick off straight away. Where they then ran off and done this pre planned celebration, yeah. which was unbelievable. You've also got to look at um, Suchek. Incredible. He's been Incredible signing. Smashed, in, smashed in the face in the, in the first half. He's blood everywhere, but he gets up, 
to try and block the next one and then goes back down. Yeah, incredible. He's Dawson. a good player. Dawson, where's he come from? He, what do you get relegated for? What from Watford last year? Yeah, we bring him in. Yeah. What are we doing with him? He's been unbelievable. So there's, there's. I think the biggest thing for us is we've got rid of like the show ponies, the Hallers, the Yarmolenkos, the Andersons. I know that I know like Yarmolenko and, and Lanzini are still there, but you've got eleven people that will give everything, and basically they, the players, are now representing the fans in the in in the stands, not. You know, you've got oh, Yarmolenko or Jog back. You've got to look at Dawson. Uh, not Dawson, sorry. Rice. Um, Bowen. Bowen, yeah. Jared Bowen. Flying backwards and forwards. You've got um, Mickey Antonio, who's a right winger, playing up front, busting busts his balls to get around the park as best he can with those hamstrings. It's impressive. It's, the, the, it's so good. The, the change in West Ham, I mean, I mentioned it last week, but I'll mention it again now. If you look at the form table over the last eight games, you're second in the table. Your your points per game is over 2.3 over the last eight games and 1.8 yeah. over the course of the season. That is top four form. And that it certainly is. is. We've also got the... I think we've also scored the most goals from set plays. Yeah. And I've just, just looking here, I... just quickly, you've got... You mentioned about your problems at... At, at home last season I know I went to a game with you last season you've scored in nine, yeah. 92% of your games at home this season and the, the key thing here is you've got bounce back ability so I was just looking 13 occasions that you've conceded first this season 7 times you've come back to at least equalise so that shows that you've got that ability you've yeah. got that fight haven't you that if you do go behind, you're still in the game. Now, for me, thinking of outside the box, Norwich last season, if we went behind, it was damage limitation. You're not sharing that. Nah. And I think, you know, just, I mean, set, set play-wise, the amount of times where we've had before, where I've just gone, oh, just, just kick it out of play and we'll just get our shape again when we've got a corner because we never look like scoring. No. But now, every time, you, we've, we've got some big boys who go and put their heads on it. And and we just look dangerous. Every time we get a corner, I think, oh, we're going to score. That's good. That's impressive. So what we're going to do, we're going to move on to the question, the topical question, which was, Golden Sullivan, is it time to sell? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I've got a few stats here, Pete. You may, Please do pull my research apart. But I've got that yeah. back in 2010, David Gould, David Sullivan purchased a 51% share in a club for £110 million. And at the time, Gianfranco Zola was in charge. And they backed him and yeah. they kept him in charge. Um, 2013, David Sullivan purchased another 25% share. So taking his own personal to 56% and becoming the largest shareholder. Now, I remember last season coming with yourself and there's a lot of stuff around the ground with fans and on Twitter, etc., with the GSB eight, a GSB out, which is obviously Gold Sullivan, is it Gold Sullivan? Brady, 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 Brady out, yeah. of course. Yep. Then start of this year, lots of rumours over the past few years about sales of the club. One rumour I sh- I saw was a gentleman, an American billionaire called Joseph De Grosser, also linked to Southampton. Southampton's potential price tag was two hundred million pound. 
reports saying that yours was between five and six hundred million pounds. Now that, for me, for a club that doesn't own their own ground, so you've got no asset in terms of stadia, that's extortionate. What is your opinion? If I ask you that question, Pete, Gold and Sullivan, is it time to sell? What are you going to come back with? See you later. Selling. Get get out. Get out of our football club. Wow. Okay. Um, I don't. I've not been. I've not been a big fan of Gold and Dublin and Brady since since day one. Really, the only thing the only thing that for me they have in in their favour is two of them are West Ham fans. Yeah. David Gold was was um, I think if I remember rightly he was his, he was born in four four two Green Street, which is literally opposite um, Upton Park, um, and I think we as as fans we accepted them coming in. Obviously they they own Birmingham, yeah. um, but as soon as they moved us out of our spiritual home of Upton Park, which we, which was our home for 112 years, and moved us to the Olympic Stadium. I, I, I mean, get, I might be wrong, but I think Jack described it as potentially one of the top 20 football stadiums in the world last week. I think it's capacity-wise, yeah. Uh, all right, and, enough, capacity. capacity and uh, like modern, obviously. It's, I, I understand where you're going to come from because I've been there, and it's not a football stadium, as you say. Oh, that's, that's far from a football stadium. That might have that might have been unbelievable on Super Saturday in the uh, in 2012 Olympics when yeah um, Mo Farah was running around and the atmosphere was unbelievable. But we we sing bubbles at the start of the game in the in the previous ground at Upton Park. That was that was together. Yeah, that was there was passion. My where I sit will be finished. And across the way, you can still hear them finishing off. But we're we're not the the ground is just. I mean, we're so far away from the um, the pitch. It's... There's no atmosphere. There's no atmosphere. There's there's just problem after problem. I, I'll tell you a few of the promises they made, Shallow, when we um, when we moved, when they moved, they said we're going to move stadiums. Go on. We're going to have lower admission fees. Has that happened? The admission fee. The admission fees are higher than they've been. <laughs> They promised us a world-class football stadium where we'll be close to the action. Yep. There is scaffolding holding up the lower tiers of the, um, of the behind the goals. Yeah. And um, we're um, miles away from the pitch. They sell popcorn and pick and mix. I mean, I did buy some um, pick and mix. Can we just clear this up? Last year, I went with you, yeah, Pete, yeah, well, that, and I did buy that, some that pick and mix. Some, that of course you did. You, that about sums you up. <laughs> they promised that there'd be a roof over every seat. That is not the case. They said that we would have the right over the over anything that happens in the stadium. We have to play the first four games, I believe, away from home one season. We can't play at home on Boxing Day because of the uh, Boxing Day sales in the local shopping centre. <laughs> they promised. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's brilliant. They promised us Champions League football. All it's been is relegation battles and mid-table finishes. Granted, that might happen this year. But they promised us, and they also promised us a world-class team. And I'm just going to give you three players that they have brought since they've come to that. <laughs> Patrice, Patrice Evra, <laughs> who was near the end of his career. 
Um, Zaza, <laughs> who, James, you could have played and done a better job up front. Steady on. And, and Norwich legend Jordan Hugel was brought to help us uh, stay in the division when Moyes was in charge. Previously. Can we just... Did he play? Did Hugel uh, actually play? So, so in his... I, I don't know. They get the players to do this um, like selfie thing where they say, oh, I'm really buzzing to have signed for West Ham. And um, he went, I'm, I'm really excited to, to be here. I can't wait for the bubbles to be flying when I walk out in front of you all. Come on, you irons. He never started a game. The poor lad never got the bubbles in his face <laughs> that he wanted. He don't get a game for, for me, Norwich, Pete. He's on the bench for, for Norwich. For me, they promised us a dream and they've delivered us a nightmare with that stadium. So, so Pete, would you say that 90% of West Ham fans felt the stadium was forced upon them? Yeah, we didn't have a choice. There's no West Ham fans you could think of that think it's actually a positive move. It's... I'm, 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 I'm sure there's some out there that will be like, oh, it's the best thing. And don't get me wrong, if I look at it, would I have been able to have a season ticket at um, Upton Park? No. No. I'd have been able to go and watch three or four games like I always do. So less, that is great. I get to go and watch. But, you know, you, you, you unfortunately, we've turned into, like, anyone can come and watch us. Yeah. You know, like, it's a bit like, United, or you know, the bigger as soon as you get big, anyone can come and watch. Yeah, so if you come from abroad, I'll get a ticket to go and watch West Ham today. And we never had that. You, you only went to Upton Park if you wanted to watch West Ham and you were a West Ham fan, right? Yeah, um, you know, you never got the tourists in. I'll tell you a quick story my first season of having a season ticket, there was a bloke that only attended two games, <laughs> right? Sat in front of me, sat in front of me. We were playing Chelsea. We were winning 1-0. And I looked down, he was playing on his DS. Wow. A grown man <laughs> was playing on his DS. The next time he came, he was revised in for an exam he had. It was some sort of construction magazine, um, um, textbook he was reading. <laughs> we're playing Chelsea and he's playing on his DS. What's it? I'm saying to Haver, I'm saying, what is this all What's about? What's he playing though, Pete? I, I, well, I didn't look. I don't know. I'm not into my games, but I couldn't believe my eyes. I mean, I just, I just, yeah. I mean, I look at the, I mean, don't get me wrong. We have saw, they, they have backed um, Gold and stuff. They, they, they backed Pellegrini. They gave him 200 million. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we signed Haller for 45 million. Felipe Anderson for 34 million. And, and believe it or not, Four Nows is our um, third um, highest transfer fee of 25 million. He's been there a while, hasn't But then he? you look at... Four Nows been there a couple of years, yeah. yeah. But then you look at some of the, the really good business that they've done in Ducek, 15 million. Kafal, 5 million. Yeah. Um, we've got potentially... We could get Dawson for 3 million. Fabianski, I would um, say, as well. Yeah, good bit of business, but... It's been more rubbish than they've signed forty nine strikers. In do time. you feel? Do you feel these the Dawsons, the Kufals you mentioned, Evan? Do you think this is all of Moyes' scouting team more than anything? It's not going to actually be the owners' choice in any of this. Well, is... We we don't we don't have a scouting network. Oh God! We wow. re, we rely on yeah we don't have a scouting network. We have, we rely on um, Sutherland's got um, a, a person that he trusts 
So you, you, do, you don't have a um, scouting do. network. That that's not not a proper not a proper scouting network. No, no. We sort of go on sort of agent sort of recommendations. Sutherland wants to. Sutherland thinks he's he can pick a player. So it, anyone that's done well at the football club, Sutherland was the man that got him in. Anyone that didn't do so well, that was the manager's pick or whatever. Ah, right. Okay. So he 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 passes. He sort of passes the buck and. You know, I, I I mean, I don't know how much you know about these two fellas, but... Well, I, I mean, know where they've come from, Pete, and where, how they made the money. Yeah, I mean, it's impressive, isn't it? I mean, you know, in, I mean, Sutherland's worth 1.5 billion, according to uh, the Sunday Times Rich List in 2006. But he made his money in porn and property. Yeah. And then you've got gold is worth 460 million, according to the same Rich List, and he made his money in porn and uh, selling nicotine. And dildos, hence why they are. That's why they are affectionately known as the Dildo Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Oh, fantastic! But, no, I mean, so the question. Back to the question. All very good points, right? So, they sell the club. Okay, what do you want from the next owner if they sell the club? Okay. So what I want, what I want from the next owner, or or if these two are going to pull it out of the bag. Okay. Right? I want them to get Declan Rice on a long-term contract. I want them to make that boy the highest paid player that we have at our football club. Okay. I want them I, I want them to show him how much they mean to the owners and the fans. Because he, he, he is the boy. Right, you're Declan Rice. I want him up. Right, you're Declan Rice. You don't finish top four this yeah. season. Okay. I think as long as I think as long as we finish in Europe, he'll okay. be. Okay, but then, say in a couple of years' time, you're, you're eighth, ninth in the league. Then he goes, yeah. and 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 I don't think there's a West Ham fan that could say anything. No. As long as he doesn't go to Tottenham, I don't think he would. I think no, no. Well, we don't start with Tottenham really, so we. So I want I want I want him to I want them to get him on a long term deal. Yeah, I want the next one to back the manager. Yeah, I want them to get. Him, David Moyes, on a long-term contract. And I want them to be able to... Because Moyes you, will spend the money how... they So, as if it's his own. Yeah, of course. So, they said... To, they, 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 they've given him a few strikers in January and said, do you want these? And he said, no, they're not what I want. Mm. So... That's, that's, he, a, that's a point. Do, do you feel like they've let the manager down with Selen Haller and then leaving yourself just with Antonio, who's very injury-prone? I think... I think Haller was a bad egg. But I don't right. think he was. I don't think he was a Moyes player. I do. Okay. But do you not think on that note, Pete? Haller scored all of his goals as a front two. He came to West Ham. Yeah, we you didn't play him as a yeah, play him as a lone striker. He's chasing shadows in a team that weren't performing. I watched him play a few times. So I thought he was quite handy. I thought he led the play quite well, but um, it just didn't work yeah, for him. So, I... so he. So he James, you just said that he chased well. I, I, I didn't ever see him chase. He looked good when he had the ball at his feet, or, yeah, yeah. or he was in he, he was in an area where he might score. But he weren't going to do the he, he weren't going to do the hard. He needed hard. another striker. He probably, yeah, and he did, and, and he probably, and, and and if we're looking at it, he probably would have. Um, and and when he did score his goals and when he played his best football was for us was when he had someone yeah. with him. But that isn't the way that Moyes wants to play. Um, you know. If you want to, you want to, 
It was a bad signing. Forty-five million pounds worth of bad of, of a bad signing. Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's, and that's our that's our most expensive player ever in the history of a football club. What you selling for? Um, uh, half. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> half. I think I think it was eighteen months. Eighteen months, maybe two years later. Half. <sighs> that's a lot of depreciation. Just that is. Him, just to get him off. Just to get him away. Get him away. Um, but I want, I want, yeah, I want Moyes to be on a long-term contract. I want them to back him, give him what he wants. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want, I want them to improve the scouting network. I want them to improve the training facilities. Our training facilities are embarrassing. Are they really? They're embarrassing. Um, it's basically, you remember Colney when they used to have the um, quarter cabins and stuff. Oh wow, it's like that, is it? It's like that. Is it really? It's like that. I want, I want them to invest in the academy. I want I want them to start to build a football club that shows that this season isn't a flash in the pan. Yeah. We because we have to build on this season. Yeah, you. If not, control. then like you said, R- Rice is going to go. Mm. You know, we need to. We've got to use the um, momentum that we're gaining this this year into into next year and the year after and the year after because the squad if we can if we can get hot if we can keep hold of um Dawson and, and if we can get Lingard then what do we need next year a centre half a centre midfielder and a centre forward and maybe another centre forward just as a backup yeah if we can keep hold of Rice amazing um we might need a goalkeeper that, but we we need we need to just Back up our backup players, sorry, back our manager, and they if if it's Gold and Sutherland, then they can get a little bit of credit back by building on uh, the because let's be honest, they've had a bit of a free year this year because they haven't had the protest. Yeah, of course, outside the stadium, they haven't had yeah. the protest in the grounds. All right, they get it on social media. Did I say it? They don't get it in their face. No. Probably not. Probably not. They probably got. They probably pay someone to do that for them. But I, I just, I just strongly believe that if they're not going to back Moyes, then they need, then they're done even more so, in my opinion. Like he, he is the type of manager to back. He is the type of manager who will stick around and will have a long term plan. We've seen that with Everton. So if if David, if I was chairman. And David Moyes said to me in the summer, right, I want 50 million. I'd give him 50 million. If he said I want 100 million, I'd give him 100 million because I trust him with my yeah. money. Where would I have trusted Pellegrini? No, because he, he, he's got a track record of wasting money. Yeah. Um, and if they want to sell the football club, is the football club not going to be worth more money if, uh, for an investor? Being successful. If you're fourth or fifth of course it is. Yeah. in, your, in, in, your, in Europe. Is. Or is it going to be... Is it going to be or well, now we're in the relegation fight. Again. It certainly won't be worth five, six mil- five or six hundred million pounds if you are seventeenth no. in the league, scraping for on the last day of the season. Exactly, it certainly isn't. Pete, thank you ever so much for coming on the pod tonight. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, it's very informative. Um, shed the light on West Ham at, from a West Ham perspective. So uh, we would love to have you on the pod in future weeks and I'm sure we will do going forward so Pete thank you ever so much pleasure cheers guys cheers mate. thank you all for listening um, like we said last week please do like share retweet 
everything you can possibly do on social media. Give us the reviews. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Twitter, Facebook, Google Pods, the lot. Find us, share us, get the message out there. And we push on and we look forward to next week's podcast out on Friday morning. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Pete. Absolute pleasure, James. Thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who listened. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.